Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, August the 10th, 2022. It is currently 9.07 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where we are continuing our discussion on Mark chapter 2, verse 26. Now, we really, I it, I feel bad saying we're going to continue our discussion about Mark 2, 26, because in the last live broadcast, we really didn't get to Mark 2, 26. And as frustrating as that is, it definitely did a good job at proving my point. Okay, so let's set this all back up. We are going to advance this hopefully tonight and maybe actually get to Mark 2.26. We're going to do everything in our power, but it's really out of my hands. I guess technically it's in my hands, but the way I'm doing this is it's outside of my control because what we're doing is we're choosing random sermons I'm not listening to them in advance, but I mean, just, I mean, as random as random can be, I'm just looking online. I'm looking using three different apps, sermon.net, the Edify Christian podcast app and sermons 2.0, just saying Mark chapter two, verse 26, choosing the most random sermon possible, not, not basing it on a title or anything like that. Just something that indicates they're supposed to cover that verse. And then we're reviewing them to see how the average church just your average local church on any given Sunday deals with Mark 2.26, which just happens to be one of the most controversial verses in the Gospel of Mark, which has obviously led to lots of problems and difficulties for many Bible interpreters throughout the history of the church and led one very famous Bible critic, Bart Ehrman, to ultimately renounce Christianity and claim that the Bible is not trustworthy, all because of Mark chapter 2, verse 26. So we are trying to look at this. And and the reason I'm going about this is, uh, look, I've got a seminary article. I've got all kinds of academic articles dealing with hermeneutics and how to interpret Mark 2.26. I could go just right to that. But I really want you to see, I really want you to feel what the average person going to church actually gets. And in many cases, they don't get any meaningful discussion over the issues in the text that should be discussed because preachers are more concerned about promo- about producing sermons than actually producing meaningful study in the text because the text raises questions. We should not be afraid of those questions and those difficulties, and we shouldn't say, well, people are not going to understand that. That's just going to confuse people. That's just too difficult. No, we should be willing to deal with the issues in the text. So that's what we're going to hope hope to accomplish tonight. But again, I don't know what's going to happen because I choose these sermons random, just choose it, and then we listen to it together. The last one never even got anywhere close to Mark 2.26, but that was the study for that church. Their study of Mark chapter 2, their study of Mark chapter 2 was looking at 11 verses, and they didn't even deal with the controversial verse in that section. They skipped that as well. So um, we we don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to pretend that Mark 2.26 is going to be addressed, all right? And just so that you remember, Mark chapter 2, let me remind you, okay, I'm just going to read this quickly. Let me just remind you of, 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 of the situation, all right? In the introductory section of his 2005 best-selling book, Misquoting Jesus, Bart Ehrman pointed to one verse in the Gospel of Mark as being the reason for him renouncing his belief in the divine inspiration of Scripture and eventually leading to his abandonment of Christianity entirely. The verse was Mark 2.26, a saying of Jesus narrated by the evangelist in the context of one of several episodes of conflict with the religious authorities. In this case, the broader context concerns a dispute over the actions of Jesus' disciples in picking grain on the Sabbath, which appeared to the Pharisees to be a violation of the Torah. In response, Jesus appeals to the actions of David as recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 through 9 as both a precedent and justification, concluding with pronouncements on the purpose of the Sabbath and about his own Christological identity and authority. 
And his reference to David taking the priest's showbread during his flight from Saul, Mark has Jesus saying David's actions took place in the time of a specific high priest. And does everyone remember the name of that high priest? We should never forget the name. Abiathar. It's Abiathar. 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 Yes. Remember, we had the whole discussion in part one about saying, well, we didn't really have a discussion. I said it like 15 different ways, but I'm reminding you of my saying it 15 different ways for a reason. If the name gets stuck in your head and you remember, wait, is it this way or this way? He said it so many different ways that will help you remember the whole controversy. All right. The whole controversy is this name, Abiathar. Abiathor. Why is Abiathor so such the issue? Because in Mark 2, let me go back. I'll, I'll open my Bible to Mark 2. I'm just going to make sure you know this controversy like the back of your hand. Mark 2, 26. All right. Uh, and, and he said unto them, this is the words of Jesus. Have you never read what David did when he had need and was unhungered and he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, Abiathar, the high priest. Jesus says this occurred during when Abiathar was the high priest. You say, well, what's the problem? The problem is when you go to that story in 1 Samuel, it's not Abiathar who's the high priest. It's Ahimelech, Abiathar's father. So you may not still think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal because, wait, Jesus couldn't be in error. Jesus couldn't be wrong. Those are the words of Jesus. So then you have to conclude, well, Mark was wrong in recording it. Therefore, well, then you call into question the validity of the gospel. Either you call into the, the accuracy of Jesus, which would destroy his deity, or you attack the accuracy of Mark, which destroys the doctrine of inerrancy and inspiration. So what is the solution? Mark Ehrman could not, or m not Mark Ehrman, Bart Ehrman, <laughs> Okay. Um, because I'm thinking of the gospel of Mark, he couldn't figure it out. He tried to come to a conclusion. And ultimately he concluded that the New Testament or the text of the New Testament as a whole was unworthy and has since continued to promote that message. We're trying to find an answer, but we're taking the long way there because I want you to see that these kinds of textual issues, these kinds of textual problems it's typically not addressed in the average local church on a Sunday morning because churches are too concerned with getting out a sermon, getting through a series. They're so concerned with, with a, the, the keeping it positive and uplifting and keeping them. They're so concerned about the methodology that they're not doing actual ministry and actual teaching in the word of God. Some people want, prefer that. They don't want the controversies and the issues and the difficulties, but there needs to be churches in every city where people can say, no, you come here, we're going to deal with these issues, right? So that's why I'm choosing random sermons, because I want you to see that the average Christian is not being equipped, so they won't be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Bart Ehrman should have already known the problem with Mark 2, 26, way before he found himself in this situation in, in some class dealing with it. He should have already been so familiar with it from his church. But I'm telling you, many young people sit in church and they never are confronted with any major textual issues because the church is too busy entertaining the young people. They go off to college and boom, their faith explodes and nobody knows why. Well, because your church didn't do anything but entertain the kids. Yes, I know I'm being very derogatory, but I am very negative about some of this. So we found another sermon, or I did. I just did a search. I went to sermon uh, sermon dot uh, net. I downloaded the sermon dot net app. Mark chapter two. Just went look look. Oh, there's one, and looked up the church online. Boom, downloaded the sermon. They supposedly this is a sermon on Mark two, eighteen to twenty eight. Mark chapter 2, 18. I'm getting choked up about it now. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 28. Uh, let's, well, I'm not, not well, let's not spend any more time. Let's just jump in and see what happens. I, I am as unprepared as you are. That's the fun part of this for me because uh, it's not all rehearsed like I'm trying to produce something. No, it's real. Let's, Let's see. So let's just pretend. I don't know what church this is. I don't even know where it is, but let's pretend it's a Sunday. 
we're driving around and we're like, you know what, man, let's, let's, let's just find a church. And we find a church and we walk in and we sit down in the pew and they say, hey, today we're going to be a Mark chapter two. And immediately I reach over and I punch you in the arm. I punch you in the arm like three times. Look, they're gonna they're gonna talk about Mark chapter two. Okay, okay, fifty dollar bet, fifty dollar bet. Are they going to actually deal with verse twenty six? Are they gonna deal with uh, Abiathar? Are they going to deal with Abiathar versus Ahimelech? Are they gonna deal with it? And and I say at fifty dollars they don't. And you're like, no, fifty dollars they will. Now, and the last one you lost fifty dollars. So I'm waiting for every one of you to to go to PayPal and send me $50. I want everyone, everyone. Now, I don't care, 20,000. I want 20,000 people giving me $50. I won that bet fair and square. Okay, I'm not promoting gambling. Just trying to have a little bit of fun. So here we're there. I'm punching you in the arm. Mark chapter two, man. They're gonna, look, Abiathor. Are they gonna talk about Abiathor and Ahimelech? Are they, are they? And you're like, yes. And I'm like, no, they're not going to do it. So we're gonna see. Maybe, maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong this time. We will see. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Look, just some random church. This is their Sunday sermon series, Mark chapter 2. And they're supposedly going to cover 18 to 28. That's what it says. The last one said they were going to cover the whole chapter, and they clearly didn't. So let's see what happens. Uh, While we're getting Bibles into people's hands, Mark chapter 2 is where we are today. Please turn there in your Bibles. Let's pray. Lord, today is a day of celebration. We see that uh, you have promised that if we would give ourselves to the apostles' doctrine, to studying, to teaching, to learning, um, to the breaking of bread, uh, to fellowship, and to prayer, and, and, and if the love truly exists that you died for us to have dwelling in us and coming out of us, If those things exist, then you would add to your church daily those that are being saved. And so, Lord, today we're thankful for those that have been saved, are being saved, and have yet to be saved due to uh, people in this community sharing their faith, sharing the truth about Jesus Christ with one another. So, Lord, we celebrate as we get into your word. uh, We're just so thankful because there's so many misconceptions and so many misunderstandings about you and about religion, about relationship, just a... Everything is so modeled with confusion, Lord. Thank you that your word just cuts through it all as we come back. And we don't need all this other stuff. We just, just to hear your voice and to know your heart in your word. Uh, that's what, we, that's what we, we lean on, Lord. Thank you so much for giving us your word, revealing yourself to us. It's in your name we pray. And all God's thankful people said, amen. Does, does the word of God cut through all of the confusion? Does the word of God cut through all the the confusion about religion and about Christianity? Because Christians hold to the word of God as the sole authority, and we don't agree on anything. Sometimes, sometimes Christians, we just say things, and I don't know if we even actually mean what we say. We just this just language. We the word the word of God cuts through all the confusion, and it brings clarity, and it brings. 10,000 different denominations who don't agree, don't agree on anything. But the word of God brings clarity. Yeah, we, we, we could have a whole discussion about that, but let's continue. Now, I think I would be pretty safe um, to say that I, there, I'm probably not the only one that looks around at the world and says, things are so complicated. Would you agree with that? Does that ever frustrate anybody else? I mean, we just bought, we, we've had a water cooler, one of those ones you get at Lowe's, and it's got the hot, instant hot water, instant cold water, and you put the big thing on top, you know, the big water jug. We've had one of those for like the last six years in our house. It's been great. Well, it just broke. So I had to go get a new one. Well, of course, the new ones now don't have two knobs, hot and cold. They have three, hot, cool, and cold. To me, that's just one more knob to break, right? But I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, now who... Clearly, the people designing this stuff don't use it because the person that uses it recognizes that they can mix hot and cold and get cool without another button. So I, this is things I just look. I, I don't. Why are we making things more complicated? And then, wouldn't it be nice if all of our electronic devices used the same plug? I mean, I got you go somewhere and you got to have 16 electronic devices and five different plugs, and then you got to find a place to plug them in, and it's just so frustrating. And then everything that we have elected that's electronic needs some kind of passcode to get into it. And the password has to be complicated enough 
that no one else can figure it out. The problem is it's complicated enough that I can't figure it out. And I spend half the day trying to figure out what my passcode is. And it frustrates me. It's complicated. And I just look at the world and I shake my head. But then the problem is, whenever humans are involved, and we, we seem to like to make things complicated, and that happens in church too, doesn't it? I kind of have to laugh because he's talking about how complicated things are. But he's dealing with Mark 2, verse 26, which is so complicated that many commentators have stated, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's almost a direct quote, there isn't a good solution. Okay? So I find it funny that he's going to use the illustration of things are so confusing, but Jesus brings clarity. The word of God just clarifies everything. And a text, where we could even go back to Mark 2 and verse 5, which we talked in the last live broadcast. Is that clear? That adds to lots of questions and lots of confusion. And then we got verse 26, Abiathar. How is it Abiathar? It was, it was Ahimelech. Wait, what, what's going on here? Oh, and, and, and it's so clear that, oh, wait, it's so clear that, is there agreement on the Sabbath? Some believe the Sabbath is still in effect. It's just on Sunday. It's not Saturday. Others believe the Sabbath is still in effect. It's on Saturday. Some believe the Sabbath doesn't matter. It's not on a Saturday or Sunday. It's done away with. We don't even agree on that issue. But, I mean, what do I know? Things are so confusing. Let's see how he believes clarity is found. Don't we see that religion gets complicated? And because humans are involved. And simple rules aren't good enough. We need more rules. And, and then there's confusion as we begin to compare ourselves to other religious people. And let me, allow me, I know it's a relationship with Christ, but allow me to use the word religion because uh, that's what we're talking about here, religion versus relationship. Um, there's a lot of religion. The religion versus relationship thing. The religion versus relationship thing. Oh, it drives me crazy. It, oh, it drives me crazy. Just if you, if you... <laughs> If you'll just open up, say, the Blue Letter Bible app and type in the word religion, type in the word religion, uh, go to, to search the whole Bible, and guess what? You, uh, religion is mentioned in James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to, fi- to fi- visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Does James say there's a difference between religion and relationship? But it's a, it's a, it's a Christian tagline. We are, we're not a religion. We believe in a relationship. It's religion versus relationship. And James is like, here's what pure religion is. Is he saying that we are not pure religion? That we don't do these things because we have a relationship? Like, but it, it's such a common thing Christians say. We're, no, that's religion. We teach relationship. It, it sounds good, but is that really a biblical concept? Because the, look, just the word religion, if you just look up the definition of the word religion, it just, oh, sometimes Christians say things that drive me crazy, okay? All right, here we go. If I can open this up. Religion definition. Religion, the belief and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. You're going to tell me Christianity does not meet the definition of a religion? Don't we have a belief and a worship of a personal God? Yes. Ding, 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 ding. We're a religion. But no, 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 no religion here. Just a relationship. I want... Christians buy into sometimes the language and little catchphrases and little taglines that may not even really accurately represent anything that's actually true about Christianity. Stop that. Just no, no. Okay. Okay. All right. I I just, but Hey, he's going to bring clarity to everything. He's bringing clarity to everything by confusing people that there's a difference between quote unquote religion and a relationship, even though the definition of religion, according to the very first definition I looked up in a dictionary, that would, that would describe Christianity. Just complication and a lot of religious confusion when we begin to compare ourselves to, to other people. So we might ask the question, you know, why do we at Calvary Chapel fully dunk people, immerse people for baptism, but other churches sprinkle? Is there one way that's right or wrong? 
oh, a Calvary Chapel church. So we found a Calvary Chapel church. Uh, they do go verse by verse. So there's a lot of things I do like about them. I don't agree with all of their theology. He says, is there a right or wrong way to baptize? Some sprinkle, some dunk. Is there a right and wrong way? Is he going to say there's a right and wrong way? Let's see. Why do some feel it's only right to dress up for church while we come casually? I mean, are we somehow missing it by dressing casually? Is the right thing to do to dress up for church? Why do we gather on Sunday, but other people say that Saturday is the only correct day to worship? Why do some denominations follow strict food laws while we pretty much enjoy eating anything? Why do we use grape juice for communion and others use wine? Why do some people pray with their hands lifted up and other people pray with their eyes closed and their heads bowed? And so as we compare, like, well, what do you guys do? What do you guys do? We can go, well, well who's right? Who's wrong? Where's the? And it can be confusing, especially if we begin to find uh, our rightness before God in those rituals that we do. Okay, so he's not going to really say who's right or who's wrong. So why is there so many? He keeps asking the question, why is there differences? Why is there disagreement? All right, where is the clarity? So in Mark chapter 2, of course, Jesus's presence is causing a lot of religious confusion and causing a lot of religious questions. So in Mark chapter 2, uh, we, we've left off with the call of Matthew uh, and, and Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. And they had a problem with that. Jesus was eating with the wrong kind of people in their eyes. And it's interesting that Matthew would go on to record that, um, that Jesus was, was by some called a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And... He's causing problems because he's not, doing, he's, he's not doing what they think he should be doing. And so these two questions arise at the end of Mark chapter 2. Uh, the first section is a question about fasting, and the second is a question about the Sabbath. And, and beyond you know, fasting and the Sabbath, they might not mean as much to us, but the question beyond this is how do we sort out confusion about religious rituals? How do we? And I love this because Jesus just simplified simplifies things. The Word of God, in, an, in a nutshell, we can make it really complicated, but the basics about the Word of God are really pretty simple. Matter of fact, Paul boiled down, Jesus boiled down the greatest. You've got Ten Commandments. They say, well, Jesus, what's the greatest? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Break it down. To, let's, let's do two commandments. And then Paul would even break it down even further. What, how do you sum up the whole thing? You summed up in one word, love. And so, we can complicate it, and the Pharisees were famous for having complicated God's Word. I love how everyone says, it's so simple. We complicated, it's so simple. Well, if it's so simple, then at some point, and everyone seems to acknowledge that we complicate it, then why can we not uncomplicate it and go back to the simple Maybe it's not as simple as we always pretend that it is. We, it's, it's the, it, again, it's the talking point of Christianity. It's the tagline. It's simple. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's just all about love. Dun, 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 dun. See how easy it is with our 9,000 different denominations. I, I get so tired of being told how simple it is when 2,000 years of church history clearly seems to indicate it's not that simple. God's word was so simply stated in a lot of ways, but the problem is, when you are trying to measure your rightness with God by your perfection of keeping rituals and, and laws, you need to know exactly what, how to keep those so that you can know and measure that you are exactly right with God. They didn't do well with gray areas. They liked it black and white so that they could prove their righteousness with God by their external rituals. And some of those revolved around fasting, and some of those revolved around keeping the Sabbath. So they had piled on all of these man-made um, interpretations and man-made rituals to add to what God had originally said. So we'll, we'll unravel some of that as we go through. Uh, let's jump in there at um, verse 18, Mark chapter 2. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast? but your disciples do not fast. So 
this question about fasting comes up. Uh, people notice a discrepancy. The interesting thing is, who are they? Then they came and said to him. Well, it's clearly not the disciples of John or the, the Pharisees, because they would have said, why do we and the Pharisees? Uh, and it's clearly not Jesus' disciples, because he calls them, you know, he says to them, your disciples do not fast. If it was the disciples, they would have said, how come they fast and we don't, Jesus? Like, why, why aren't we doing what they do? So it was clearly someone else. These they, I believe, and the, the grammar would bear it out. If you go back up, you remember Jesus is at Matthew Levi's retirement party with tax collectors and sinners. And the grammar would indicate that this next section actually happens right during that time. So probably in the house there with Matthew, you've got the, the tax collectors, you've got Jesus, you've got the disciples, and these Pharisees are, are watching, these Pharisees are present, and they notice something. That there's this party going on, but certain guys aren't eating. The disciples of John and the Pharisees, they're abstaining from food. Now, just pay close attention to this because he's, he's going into great detail here about the grammar and, and, the, and the pronouns. The they is referring to them or the, they, that's not referring to them. He's, that, this is all great. Now, I hope he maintains this same level of detail when we get to Mark 2.26, which is, well, Abiathor? Uh, Ahimelech, which, which is it? What's going on? Why is there a difference? Now, the fact is, he's only got 32 minutes left. 32 minutes is all he's got left. Which t- And he, since he's starting in verse 18, it's going to tell me by the time we get to 26, <laughs> what do you bet? Come on, come on. Remember, I, I bet you $50. I, you're, everyone already owes me $50 because I said the last one wasn't going to touch the subject maybe he's going to touch it, but I'm just saying, looking at time and looking at the detail he's given in verse 18, by the time he gets to 26, I don't know if there's going to be much time to do anything at all. For religious purposes. And, and yet Jesus' disciples are chowing down. Someone can say amen to that. They're chowing down. And so the people that are watching, and this is what happens in the world today, the people that are watching Look at what this church does and what that church does. And they see, we, you guys can't even figure it out yourselves. You know, why, why be saved? Because God's, you know, clearly not, not communicated properly to all of you, you folks in church because none of you can agree on, on any of this stuff. And there's some, some 40,000 denominations around the world. But if you start to unravel that, you see. Where in the world do you get 40,000? I think the most you ever hear is 33,000. Where did he get 40,000? That'd be interesting. I, 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 source, I think most say 9,000. We, we did an entire discussion about all the different denominations. Well, you can go back and listen to those, uh, th- those discussions. So, but okay. He just threw that number out randomly. All right, but that, let's, let's, let's continue. See that although there's 40,000 denominations, uh, the differences of doctrine are oftentimes very small. Oh, boy. That's, that's the go-to with Protestants. Hey, there's 40,000 denominations, but I want you to know, the, the differences are so small. Well, if the differences are so small, then why can't we work out a, an agreement and stop having 40,000 different, denomina- 40, different denominations? But you're telling me the difference is small when some believe in, well, libertarian free will and that we choose God versus others saying we don't, our will is trapped by sin and God chooses us. You've got the whole difference between uh, semi-Pelagianism, Pelagianism, Augustinianism, Calvinism, Arminianism. You're telling me the differences are small? We don't agree on baptism. Does baptism save? Is baptism not saved? Can you lose your salvation? You can't lose your salvation. We can't agree on the Lord's Supper. We can't agree on the mode of baptism. We can't agree on what baptism does or doesn't do. We can't agree on basically anything, but our go-to is, hey, 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 hey. The differences are really small. They're, they're really not that significant. Well, if they're not that significant, then why doesn't Calvary Chapel just close down and just go join the Southern Baptists? Why don't the Southern Baptists close down and go join Calvary Chapel? Oh, wait, you got a differences on whether the gifts continue or they don't continue. We have differences on that. <laughs> Give me a break. There's differences on everything, and these differences are so significant. That's why you have all of these different denominations. If the differences aren't that significant, you would have fewer denominations. 
But nonetheless, people watch that stuff, and they have questions, don't they? And some of you may have questions about these things. So that's who the they are. The Pharisees and, and the disciples of John are fasting during this party, during this, this time when Jesus is ha- hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. And so they, the question naturally comes up, why do they fast and your disciples don't? And the issue was, that they, why do they fast? I think Matthew writes this, why do they fast often? Now, so that's a good question, isn't it? Why are they fasting? Because the Bible itself, God himself, only calls for one day a year of fasting. And that's the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And that's when the nation, it was time for a nationwide time of fasting. And the fasting was to represent a remorse over sin, a grief. So when you fasted, you know, you denied yourself of food for a 24-hour period and, you know, you didn't. You just, it just, you looked like you were grieving and sorrowful and repentant. And that was the only fast that was called for. But you know, in the eyes of the religious, if one is good, more is better. So the Pharisees had added days of fasting, mandatory days of fasting, Mondays and Thursdays. See, it didn't matter how you felt, it was part of the schedule. You fast on Monday, not for 24, but for 12 hours, and you fast on Thursday for 12 hours, and those were the, the recognized, these are the days that we fast. It wasn't biblical, but this is what they did. This was practical. This was their practice. Now, Matthew would also go on to recognize that he would say to his disciples, when you fast, because Jesus fasted. It's not that fasting is wrong. And he would tell his disciples, when you fast, so fasting is a good, a biblical practice. But when you do, he said, don't do like the hypocrites do. Don't do it like the Pharisees do. Why? Because they do it to be seen by men. Their religious fasting was external. It was so that people would look at them because they would, when they fasted, everybody knew it. They would go into work that day and they, would be, uh, they hadn't showered, they hadn't brushed their teeth, they looked terrible, they were covered with ashes. And what's going on? I'm fasting today. I'm that dedicated to God. You know, notice that you're not fasting today, but I am. That's how much I, I love God. And this whole thing of, of, uh, of repentance and remorse all the time. And so they would fast twice a day. And it was all for the outward, all for the show, all to be recognized as spiritual men. And people bought it. Oh, those guys are really spiritual. Well, Jesus now is on the scene. And it's Monday, or whatever day it is. It's one of the fasting days here when Matthew has the party. And Jesus' disciples are digging in. And this causes a discrepancy. That Jesus then cuts through with a wonderful answer. Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? And don't think friends, don't think bridal party, think guests at the wedding. So when's the last time you've been at a wedding? I mean, weddings are a time of what? Mourning and fat? Well, maybe for some. (laughs) Weddings are, (laughs) help me out here. Weddings are a time of celebration. And especially if you've ever been to a Jewish wedding, oh my goodness, they celebrate. And in this time, would have been a week-long celebration. So when you show up at your friend's wedding, and they've, got, they've gone all out, they've got the fancy restaurant and all the food there, a buffet style. My, my uh, wife's, I guess it was her uh, niece, got married a number of years ago, and she married an Italian guy from New York. And I mean, this family, but it was a dessert buffet. I mean, there was, there was, we thought after the appetizer, the meal was over. But that was just the appetizer. And it just, the food just kept coming and coming and coming. And the dessert was just kept coming and coming. And it was so good. And, and now imagine if we had gone up there. And here we are to celebrate their wedding with them. And, and, and there I am going, no, I'm fasting. Doing this for Jesus. I'm so spiritual. I can't, I can't, I can't celebrate with you guys because I'm fasting. No, that would, be, that would be wrong. That would be out of place. And so Jesus says, listen, can the, bride, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they can't fast. I mean, this is a time of joy and celebration. But, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So what's the bottom line? Look, let your outward um, practices match your inward feelings. I mean, don't do things just because the schedule says to do them. We, get, we fall into that in terms of religion, you can define religion like this, doing the right thing, the right ritual, at the right time, in the right way.
I wonder why you can define religion that way. Do you just make up your own definition? You can define religion this way. Therefore, we're not a religion. We're a relationship. But wouldn't you go with the actual definition of religion, which Christianity would fall under? I don't know. Okay. We're, he's, he's moving through these verses relatively quick. Um, um, he, he's, he's in verse 20. Okay, we'll see. I'm hoping. I mean, he's got, we'll see. Verse 26. Remember, that's all we want. That's all we want. Let's see if he's going to get there. That's religion. That's ritual. Doing the right ritual at the right time in the right way. And somehow doing those things gets us approved by God, even when it doesn't match the inside. So people ask, well, how do, you know, when we pray, what's the right posture for prayer? I mean, I know some people, they're like on their face crying before the Lord. Is that more spiritual? Or other people, well, they've got their hands lifted to God, you know, and they're, which is the right way? Both. Depends on how you feel. Are you feeling like, oh, God, you're so, you know, you just, oh, Lord, you're so great. You've been so good to me. Then, then raise your hands when you pray. Lord, thank you so much. I'm such a loser and you saved me. You know, whatever, you know, oh, just, you're celebrating today. But then other times you might come in and, you know, man, think the bottom's dropping out. You lost your job and things are going, and you say, oh, what, have I, you know, what am I doing wrong? Why, why can't I get it together, Lord? Why, why are you doing this to me? And you just come in and you, and you, just, you just fall on your face going, ah, have mercy on me, God. You know, doesn't it, have mercy. Well, maybe you could have mercy on me. God. It depends on how you feel. It's Luke that tells the story of the, the, the sinner, the tax collector, and the Pharisee that both come to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee says, God, I'm thankful I'm not like that guy. I pay my tithes, and I do what? And I fast twice a a week. I fast. I'm doing my thing. I'm good with you, God. And then the the camera pans over to the tax collector, and he can't even look up. He's he's just, he's on his knees, on his face, pounding his chest, asking, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, And the question is asked, which one leaves justified before the eyes of God? And the answer, of course, is the one who came in asking for mercy. So what's the right posture for prayer? I don't know. It depends on how you feel. What's the right, what's the right songs to sing? I don't know. It depends on how you feel. There's a place for lament and mourning. There's a place for dirges in, in the music of the church. And there's a place for songs of celebration. And so that's basically what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm not coming... To, to fall into, remember, this is not the word of God. This is their rules. They made these up. And he says, I'm not coming to, to just kind of fall in line with what you guys say. Jesus is more concerned with what? What God says. And so he gives a couple more examples about this. Number one, he says, um, he gives the bridegroom example. The next one is a piece of unshrunk cloth. Look at verse 21. He says, look, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. So now we live in the days of pre-shrunk or pre-washed clothes. But there was a day, some of you remember a day, when there wasn't pre-washed jeans. And you'd, you'd have to figure out what size you'd need because it's going to shrink. And so you'd have to account for that. And so you'd wear the pants, the cloth, you'd wash it, and it would shrink. And then over time it would wear out, and then it would get fitted, get a hole. Now if you go and you get a piece of new cloth that's never been washed, and you sew it on to that old cloth that's already thin and already shrunk, and you put it in the wash, and when that, when that patch shrinks, what's going to happen? It's going to actually make the tear in the cloth worse. And so what Jesus is saying is what he's bringing is not just, a, a, he's not coming to put a patch on Judaism. He's coming to fulfill the law. He's coming to save us by grace and not by works. And you, the system of grace and the system of law are not compatible. They're not, the law was meant to make you and I recognize that we needed the grace. And now the bridegroom is here, you know, the, the celebration is happening. Jesus is in their midst. And instead of mourning, they should be celebrating. The Messiah has come. And there would be a day when they would mourn because he's going to be crucified. And that's the reason for mourning. But he, Jesus didn't come to just patch up Judaism. The church is made up of Jew and Gentile. It didn't come just to put a patch. It came in to usher in grace and the new covenant. 
I'm trying to let this play out um, instead of just trying to offer lots of analysis and critique at this point, because we're hoping he's going to get to verse 26. But you just you just look at this. I, I mean, he's gone into some great detail about some pronouns, right? Then he's kind of going through this relatively quick. He's kind of giving some basic summary. So maybe maybe he's going to get he's going to spend some considerable time in verses 23 to 28. Maybe he is. The only problem is he's got about 20 minutes left. He's at 20 minutes and he still hasn't started even started with verse 23. He's not even set up that entire discussion. So you know there's no way he can spend maybe more than 5 minutes on verse 26. So we already know this is even if he deals with the whole issue of Abiathar versus Ahimelech, even if he gets, even if he mentions it, he's, I mean, just mentioning it and trying to explain the problem would take you, I think, five to 10 minutes. So I think uh, I'm going to, once again, this is going to be another sermon that demonstrates sometimes it's not what the church says that's wrong. It's what they won't cover. They won't deal with these major issues in the text. Let, let's see if that's what, maybe I'm going to be wrong. Let's see. So he gives another example. No one puts, a, a new, puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. So both things are lost. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. So again, you have to know that in those days when they, made, uh, when they, when they held liquids, particularly wine, they would make a, a container uh, out of animal skin. And they'd sew this thing together, and then they'd fill it with the wine. And as the wine fermented, as the new wine fermented, it released gases and it would stretch the animal skin. And so by the time, you know, it, it stretched fully out, you drink the wine, then you've got this animal skin wine holder that is now fully stretched. If you fill that again with new wine, if you fill it full, and then it begins to stretch again, the new wine begins to ferment and the gases are released, what happens? It, it's going to break the wine skin. So when you have new wine, you need a new wine skin. And that's a great, another great example that Judaism in that day, the Pharisaic Judaism with all its rules and all its burdens and all the things that they had, all the, the additions they'd made to what the Word of God said um, had become a very stiff ritualistic system. And to bring grace and try to insert it into that old wineskin, it would, it would ruin both. Grace would get ruined and so would the law. I mean, you just can't have them compatible. So, there's a, there's a season Jesus is bringing for something new for them. Not Pharisaic Judaism, not an external form of religion, but he's ushering a relationship with God and grace and these things. Once again, he's going with that catchphrase. See, there was religion. Here's relationship. Religion, and, and as if Christianity is not a religion, you'll look up the definition of religion and you're like, yeah, Christianity is a religion, but okay. All right, it just uh, okay. <laughs> Let's continue. I'm 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 counting. I'm hoping. We'll see if we're going to get somewhere. Uh, there's a time in our lives, you know. I think one of the reasons Calvary Chapel, you guys know, Calvary Chapel goes back to the hippie movement of the '60s and and whatnot. And I think one of the things that's helped Calvary Chapel be successful is the wine has stayed the same. Is we got the Word of God, the power of the Spirit. Those things, those things are non-negotiables. But sometimes the form has to change, right? And, and we can fall into the same trap of, of not being willing to expand. Well, and I, I mentioned it last week. Well, we don't want certain kind of people coming into our midst. Or, well, you know, we've got these rules like you've got to wear a suit if you come to church. Well, look, we minister to people that can't afford one and don't own one. So what are they supposed to do? See, if we can't expand to make room for people that don't wear suits, then what have we done? See, the new wine of grace sometimes takes a new system. And you know, you look around the world and you go, wouldn't you love to fix the healthcare system? Wouldn't you love to fix this system? That's it? But you realize like it's beyond, it's got its own life now. And to try to fix it is more, is, is more difficult than to just start over. Sometimes things can't be fixed, right? They won't be fixed because the people that are involved are already, they're already in the rut. And you can't get them out of it. It's too, it's too damaging to try to fix it. So you got to start fresh. And so I think churches can fall into that same thing. Churches can get in such a deep rut of we've always done it that way. Matter of fact, uh, I think it's in Matthew. He makes mention the same story. There's another verse about no one who drinks new wine uh, immediately accepts it. They always say the old is better. 
And, and so that's a natural thing. No one likes change. And this is, Jesus is really challenging them to change. He's really, really challenging them to think about what they do and why. And that's hard for some people to be changed. And I think that if, if the church, you know, we've moved from uh, organ music to contemporary Christian music, you know, to guitars and drums. That was a hard stretch for some people. But it's form, not, not biblical word of God. But we, what are we supposed to sit on in church, pews or chairs? Does God ever say? Thus saith the Lord, never sit on chairs in church. He didn't say that. But we get it in our minds that a pew is the only way to go. And somehow pews are more spiritual than chairs, you know. So I hope as a church that we can continue to expand and contract. There's a time to contract too, isn't there? We can see the church world expanding so much that, that no, all of a sudden there's no such thing as sin. Everything is okay. And that's not right either. So, but it's knowing from the, going back to not tradition of men. You know, if the things you do, if you begin to analyze those and you go, well, why don't, it's a great thing to sit down and say, why do I do this? Why do we do this? And why do we do it this way? And if you can't find the answer in the word of God, maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe it's good that you do that. Maybe it's something you're used to. Maybe it's not bad. But if you begin to lose flexibility to where you judge others by what you do, which is what they did, then, then maybe you need to reanalyze or reevaluate what you do and how you believe you're saved. Do you believe you're saved by your good works because you read your Bible through in a year, because you show up at prayer meeting, or do you believe you're saved by the grace of God? And it's by that grace I'm saved, and it's by that grace I have a relationship with Jesus, and it's by that grace that I get to know him. And I come to church on Sunday not because it's a sin not to. I come to church because I love to be here. Because I want to gather. God draws me here. And, but there's people that can't make it to church on Sunday. They work. Well, sorry, you're going to hell. You can't be at church on Sunday. Oh, my goodness. That's why we have church Wednesday night. Right? I mean, and if we had someone else to preach it, we'd have church Saturday night. We could have church every night of the week. So that everybody would be without excuse. You can gather at some time with the people of God. So, <laughs> that's just the first example. That's not the last question. Let's go on. Are you still with me? Okay. Let your, let your religious practices, let your routines re- reflect what's going on on the inside. Appropriateness of those things. Not just living by the, the book, so to speak, the, the law, the, the rituals. Verse 23, now it happened that he... Okay, so finally, finally, after 24 minutes, we get to verse 23. So that means he has basically 15 minutes, if that, maybe 14 minutes, depending on when he starts his his closing prayer. So it may be 14 to 13 minutes to get from verse 23 to 28, where you have verse 26 right in the middle of that, which is one of the most controversial verses and that has led to so much disagreement and led, well, Bart Ehrman, one of the you know most prominent, well, well-known Bible critics, at least in recent history. I don't know, maybe currently, but at least if you go back to 2005 with misquoting Jesus, he's the one, Abiathor versus Ahimelech, we've got a problem here. Wait, this can't be, the Bible can't be trustworthy. The Bible can't be inspired. Therefore, I'm going to renounce Christianity. And here you're, you, we just walked into a church on a Sunday and we are not, I mean, there's, there, there's no way there can even be even a meaningful discussion on this because even if he went right to verse 26, right at this moment, he would have only 14 minutes and it would take at least 10 to even explain the issue. Well, let's see if he finds a way to, maybe he can do it in a much more succinct and way and summarize where I couldn't. Maybe, maybe he's about to demonstrate the right way to handle this because clearly I, I, I'm going to end up in a 10-part series trying to figure this out. But let, let's see what's going to happen here. Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Oh, Jesus is probably watching them do that and just smile. And he knows what's coming. So the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So again, the question comes, man, we would never do that on the Sabbath. Your disciples are doing that. Why are you letting them do that, Jesus? You know it's wrong. So we got to ask a few questions. So it happened. This is, there's some time that has passed that they're, they're walking uh, someplace. It's the Sabbath day. And as they're walking, the disciples begin to uh, 
uh, they're walking through a grain field, maybe it's wheat, maybe it's barley, and they take little heads of grain and they, you know, roll them in their fingers to break the husk off, and then they pop them in their mouth. It's Jewish fast food. That's all it is. And they're walking along and eating. Well, the Pharisees have an issue with that. Why? Well, because the Pharisees had very strict set of rules for how one was to keep the Sabbath. Now, they had 39, if I get this right, 39 prohibited activities on the Sabbath. Now, again, you won't find this in God's Word. You couldn't sow, you couldn't plow, you couldn't reap, you couldn't bind, you couldn't thresh, you couldn't grind, you couldn't bake, you couldn't shear, you couldn't wash, uh, wash wool, you couldn't tie or untie, you couldn't sow, you couldn't slaughter. Uh, by the way, part of these things, you, you couldn't kindle a fire, you couldn't extinguish a fire, you couldn't demolish. Uh, that's why when we go to, to Israel, you get on the elevator on the Sabbath, and, you know, you push the button on the elevator and a little light comes on, right, it, typically. Well, on the Sabbath, the elevator just goes floor to floor all by itself. It's, 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 it goes from being the express to the local. You know, it stops at every floor. And that's so that they don't have to push a button. Because when they push a button, the light comes on. And inside that light bulb, you have a filament. And that filament is heating up. It's a miniature fire. So if you push the button, guess what you've just done? You've kindled a fire. Can't do that. It's the Sabbath. So they have their ways to circumvent. By the way, you know what else you couldn't do on the Sabbath? Not that I recommend you do it anyway, but you couldn't spit. Do you know why you couldn't spit? Because the ground is dry and dusty. And if you spit, when that spit hits the ground, it creates a little crater, and then it rolls a little bit, and it creates a furrow. And you know what that is on the Sabbath? That's plowing. You think it's funny. But this was deadly serious that their righteousness depended. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This stuff, is, they had created a mess. And look, don't think it's just for them. I know churches today that have created themselves, have weaved for themselves a politics of mess through their rules and through their regulations that now they are bound to keep. We've been very, very careful here to try, because we have policies and things, but we're very careful because we realize we don't live by policies and bylaws. We live by the Spirit of the living God. And we never want our policies or procedures to somehow keep us from doing what the Spirit of God would want us to do. Because not everything fits into this nice little neat package. And so sometimes we help those that maybe others wouldn't help, or sometimes we do things that maybe seem a little unorthodox because we feel the Spirit of God is letting us do that. Not leading us into sin, the Spirit of God would never lead us into sinning. So don't hear me say that. But we try not to get bound in by all these things. Uh, that, so to them, this was deadly serious. You couldn't spit. So, so when the disciples are walking through, and the Bible allowed, the Old Testament allowed for the poor to glean from the field. So they weren't, the issue wasn't, hey, why are they doing that? They're stealing from some guy's field. No, it was allowed in the Bible if you were walking through a field and you were hungry. Why are they eating this? Why are they doing this? Because they're hungry. That's why they're doing it. They're walking through, they're walking on the Sabbath, and they're hungry. And the Bible allowed for them to pluck grain and eat it. So they're not stealing from somebody. But the issue for the Pharisees was that they were harvesting. See, when you pluck that grain, that was reaping. And then when you roll it in your fingers to get the husk off, that's threshing. When that husk, then, when you, when you let it go, that's winnowing. And, and then you've just harvested grain. And that was what was prohibited. Are you with me? Okay, that makes this a little bit clearer, I hope. So they say, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Jesus always has a great answer. It starts out with, have you never read? Okay, we're, we're almost there. We're almost there. He's, he's now to verse 25. He's now to verse 25. And we have probably less than eight minutes left. Probably less than eight minutes. I... I I don't, I don't, I think we're going to get another example of where the issue is not even going to be addressed. It's not even going to be touched. I, he has to at least mention it. I think he's going to say, well, some people uh, have an issue here because 
Abiathor is Abiathor is is mentioned as being the priest, and in First Samuel, where this story is talked, it talks about Ahimelech, and and the and the solution is really simple: they were both priests at the same time. That 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 has to be what he's going to say. He's got to at least acknowledge the issue and throw out at least maybe that as a possible solution. He's got to throw out at least a solution, right? He has he has to. How can you just not? I mean, uh, we'll, we'll see. Now, that almost is an insult, almost, because these are the guys that prided themselves on knowing exactly what the Old Testament said. They knew the the Bible inside, outside, upside down. They were the experts in everything the Bible said. That was their whole being was reading the Torah. And they go to not some obscure, Jesus goes to not some obscure biblical figure, but he goes to King, the King, King David. And he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? Put a little note under that or or put an underline under that, in need and hungry. hungry. What did he do? And and, And for those with him, now he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is, again, notice, not lawful to eat except for the priests and also gave some to those who were with him. So, Jesus refers to an Old Testament story to justify what he's done. That, that here's, here's the king that they're not recognizing traveling with some of his men. And his men are hungry, and so they've plucked heads of grain, which to them is not lawful, and they're eating them. And Jesus says, you know what, guys? If you'd read your Bible, you'd know that David did the same thing when he and his guys were hungry. After they had fled from King Saul, King Saul was threatening to kill David. They had fled, and they come into the, to the tabernacle, and the showbread was uh, called for in the law. I think it's Leviticus 24. You can read about the making of what they call the showbread. It was 12 loaves of bread that the priests would make, and every Friday night, they would switch out the old loaves for the new loaves. They would have a table called the table of showbread, and they would lay these loaves of bread, these 12 loaves of bread out to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They would lay them there, and they would sit there before God for the whole week. And on the Sabbath, the priest would bring the fresh, piping hot bread. I mean, it must have smelled so good would bring that fresh, piping hot bread, and they would take away the old loaves. But, you know, the law said that only the priests could eat the showbread after it was taken from the table. So those 12 loaves were only, according to the law, only to be eaten by the priests. So David shows up on the run. He's hungry. He says, my men and I were hungry. You got any food? And uh, the priest looks around. No, all we have is the showbread. And ultimately, he said, well, here, you, you can take this. That'd be like, you know, if we, our pantry was empty and, and someone comes in the church and they just have no food in their house. And we're like, all we got is the matzah and grape juice from communion. Oh, that was a dilemma. Now, is he going to address the fact, was that the law as recorded in Scripture or was it a law that had been added? And if it was a law in Scripture, then why was it okay for David to do so? Is he going to even address that question? Is he going to address the question that Abiathor is mentioned here as being the priest and in Samuel where the story, he's not even giving you the reference to the Old Testament story. And please note, he's not even told you where the Old Testament account is. He's not even mentioning it because, hey, if I don't mention it, they won't know there's a problem. Because if anyone goes back to the other, they're like, oh, it's Ahimelech. There's not going to talk about it. Therefore, not equipping anyone and them. Okay, we've got like seven minutes left. Well, which is more important? The fact that, well, I mean, this is communion elements. I mean, this is the, the grape juice and the, the matzah from the communion. I mean, can we, we can't just give that out, can we? I mean, that's sacred stuff. Well, this guy's starving to death, and you're going to say, nah, sorry, you know, we got this sacred food. I mean, it's food, but you can't have any. You see the dilemma? Which is more important, people's need or our rituals? Think about that. Which is more important to you? That'd be like coming to church on a Sunday morning and driving past someone who's got a flat tire. And go, oh, man, flat tire. I, I got to get to church. I mean, I, I've got to be at church. People have to see me there. You know, if we're not there for a couple of weeks, a pastor's going to call us. So I got I to be there. Or do you stop and help the person with their flat tire? It would probably be more spiritual to stop and help, help your neighbor when you see him in a ditch, so to speak than to show up at church on time. We're, you know, be late if that's the case. Be late. 
So he said, this is what happened in the days of Abiathar, uh, the high priest. He, they ate, which wasn't lawful, um, except for the priest eat, and he also gave some to those who were with him. So no chance to respond. They don't come back, but, but, but. Um, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So they had, in their interpretation of it, they had totally missed even the purpose of the Sabbath. They had gone to the letter of the law and and created all these things and missed the heart of it. Folks, what's the heart of the Sabbath? It's for refreshment. Not going to cover it. Not even going to mention it. Doesn't even give the people the the reference to the first Samuel passage. Mentions Leviticus, but he mentions Leviticus, but he doesn't say whether what David did was against an actual law or was it against a something they added to the law. He doesn't really address that issue at all. So Abithor is the priest. Samuel says it's Ahimelech. He doesn't address that, and he doesn't address the issue of whether he doesn't deal with it. So this once again proves as, and I know, and again, you're going to be like, well, why, why did we do this? We did this to just show you that the average church doesn't deal with these issues. And that is the problem I want to bring to the forefront of everyone's mind. You may go to a church and everything said here, you may not say that he said anything incorrect. You may not even say he said anything wrong. You may say that everything he said was good. The only problem problem is he did not deal with the issue of the text. And and again, we have the issue is, wait a minute. So what David did, was it against the law or was it not against the law? Is there an Old Testament scripture that would have for, prohibited what he did? And if he did do it, why was it allowed? Was it allowed because the need was because a need was present? Then it overrides the law. How do we understand that? Wait a minute. Jesus said that this happened when Abiathar, Abiathar was the, the priest but that, but First Samuel says Ahimelech was the priest. How do we reconcile this difference? He doesn't address any of that issue because that's how so many churches do things. It's like, I just want to get the sermon out there and give something practical and not deal with the real issues. Well, then what happens? You have another Bart Ehrman who's in some Bible college or studying the Bible and comes across the conflict, tries to come up with a resolution, cannot come up with a resolution and decides, the Bible's not accurate, the Bible's not trustworthy, and renounces Christianity and goes on to become a very well-known, influential, and prominent Bible critic that, well, Christians find themselves debating. Well, maybe it wouldn't even have been an issue if he was dealt with this issue with whatever churches he grew up in and churches he attended. The church is supposed to be equipping saints, but we're too busy preaching sermons and not dealing with the actual issues in the text. So that's two sermons that we've just randomly chose who didn't even bother to deal with the issue. At least this one read the verse, but didn't even bother to offer a cross reference for crying out loud. Didn't even let the people in the pew know, wait, this is, this is found in first Samuel, but we have an issue here. Didn't even bother to go, wait a minute. This is what the law said in Leviticus in regards to the showbread. This is what couldn't, couldn't be done, but David did this. So how do we understand this? Did David commit a sin or did he not commit a sin? Jesus is using it as justification for what they did. Why? How does this work? There's like a hundred questions questions. And we're not going to get any answers, but that's the whole point of this exercise. Because if you went to this church, you wouldn't have gotten any answers. In fact, you wouldn't even have been alerted of the possible problem. We'll probably review one more. We'll probably review one more, and then we'll start working and seeing what we can come up with. Well, but this at least, this sermon did do one thing. It did at least raise the question, hmm, what was the law in regards to the showbread? And what did David do? Did he violate the law? And if he did, why is he justified? Jesus is quoting it as justification for what his disciples just did. Now, you could argue what the disciples did wasn't a violation of the law because there was no law prohibiting what they did. That was the extra rules added by the Pharisees. So... We, we, we will now have to address that issue, and then we'll address the issue of Abiathar versus Ahimelech. And please note, he didn't say Abiathar, he said uh, Ab- Abiathar. I think he, he said it that way. Just note once again, so someone says it in a different way. So, But again, the different ways of saying the name, that 
that that you you keep being confronted with that, that's going to help you remember this controversy forever. And whenever we come up with an answer, if we even come up with an answer, you're always going to remember it. Okay. Sorry for a Wednesday night where we didn't actually answer the problem, but we died. We we didn't answer the problem, but we really clearly demonstrated the real problem. Not sometimes what churches say. It's what they never will talk about and what they will avoid. Not all of them, but just please note, just from a statistical standpoint, I just randomly chose two sermons from two different apps. You would think that one of them would have addressed it, right? Two completely different kinds of churches. You think one of them would have addressed it, right? Just statistically? (laughs) No, not the case. We'll see. Well, number three, B, the exception to the rule. Are we going to go three for three? Can you imagine how bad that would be if we go three for three? That would be bad. That would be bad. We will find out, not tonight, but we'll find out tomorrow evening. All right. Thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. You continue to work on Mark 2.26. See if you've come up with your solution yet, right? I haven't really given you that assignment yet, but you can start working on a solution now and let me know what you come up with. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.